You're listening to KPBS Midday Edition. I'm Jade Hindman. If you've ever walked around San Diego's harbor, you've likely seen the small fleet of historical ships docked at the Maritime Museum. Now, of course, everyone knows the Star of India. But another ship, the HMS Surprise, has a rich and storied history of its own. 20 years ago, 20th Century Fox purchased the ship for use in the film Master and Commander, based off the successful series of Patrick O'Brien novels. The problem, the ship was bought in Rhode Island. Filming, however, was at Fox's studios in Baja, California. That meant that a ragtag crew of sailors and ship enthusiasts would have to sail the vessel across thousands of miles of open sea to its destination. As you might expect, the journey was not without its fair share of adventure, challenges, and dangers. Author Will Sofran was among the crew of the surprise for the voyage across the seas. And he's out with a new book, All Hands on Deck, that recalls the daunting tale. He spoke with Midday Edition producer Harrison Patino about his new book and the journey that inspired it. And he starts off by sharing what made him want to share this story 20 years after his original voyage. KPBS On Demand is supported by the Museum of Contemporary Art San Diego, offering visitors to the La Jolla campus special exhibitions, collection galleries, coastal vistas, seaside dining, and more mcasd.org. I've got a a seven-year-old daughter and I started writing this book four years ago after uh, being prompted at a New Year's party when people have always loved hearing my sea stories. And this tale certainly is probably at the top of my list of stories. And I thought, what a great adventure. It'd be great to write it all down so that when my daughter gets older, she could read this adventure. But then even more so for younger people like her, maybe um, other people will read about this adventure and it might inspire them to make their own adventure. So the ship at the center of this story, it's got a pretty interesting history. And in fact, it wasn't even called the surprise at first. What can you tell us about this vessel? Yeah, the ship that we sailed uh, was formerly known as the American Tall Ship Rose. And she was built in 1969 in Lunenburg, Nova Scotia for the American Bicentennial Celebration. So the ship is a little different than HMS Surprise, but at the time when Peter Weir wanted to find a ship to make the movie Master and Commander, Rose was the only sailing frigate in the world. So he had found her and decided she was going to be the starship. And with his team of shipwrights and uh, historical experts, they all agreed and and decided that this was going to be the best ship that they could transform and and be that perfect match to star in the film. Now, you weren't chosen to be involved in this project just because of your enthusiasm alone. You have a bit of a sailing background yourself. Can Can you tell us a bit about that and how you became involved in this project in the first place? Yeah, I had um, just returned from a sailing tour in Europe and I was still, I'd say, a a freshman as a professional sailor. It was that was my first big sailing job. Before that, I had uh, been doing an apprenticeship to learn how to be a wooden boat builder and restore wooden yachts. So this job opportunity was great for me because it gave me the opportunity to work as a shipwright on the ship and be a ship's carpenter. And then also had the experience of sailing the ship. Well, let's talk about the actual journey itself, the thing that prompted you to write this book. Rhode Island to Southern California is no minor expedition. What was that voyage like? Boy, that voyage, there were many elements to it that made it quite interesting. For one, departing from Newport in January 
uh, to sail through the North Atlantic, just a, a terrible, terrible time of year to go sailing in the North Atlantic. And we, a few days out, encountered a pretty intense storm, the roughest weather I've ever sailed through in my life, and also the the roughest weather that the ship had ever experienced. We experienced force 12 conditions, which could be classified as hurricane conditions. And then uh, we sailed from Puerto Rico to Panama. That was our second leg. In the middle of that leg, we were dismasted under full sail, about right dead smack in the middle. And you would hope that the journey would sort of ease off there. But after uh, crossing the transiting the Panama Canal, we continued north along the western seaboard of North America and had run-ins with water spouts and uh, a few more gales. It was a uh, it was quite a loaded adventure. Now you just used a term there that I think some people might not be familiar with. Dismasted. That's not exactly like changing a tire, is it? <laughs> if only it were as easy as changing a tire. No, the term dismasted means that our mast broke. And what that meant was we had our sail set. And because the ship had a number of masts, not all of the rig went over, but we broke two masts in one yard. And trying to tackle that in the middle of the ocean was just something that I don't really think you can prepare for. But fortunately, we had incredible leadership on board the ship and our officers did a great job of coordinating effort, keeping everyone calm, and we pulled it all off. You sailed near something that was called the Graveyard of the Atlantic. Uh, Care to explain that name? Yeah, the Graveyard of the Atlantic is uh, a portion of the Atlantic Ocean, uh, let's say east of Cape Hatteras, just, just to make it simple, in between Florida and New England. And there's, I think, what, over... 5,000 ships have been lost in that part of the ocean in the last four or 500 years. So it's a pretty treacherous part of the world and ships still ships and sailboats still get sink there every year. Uh, fortunately, that number has gone down quite a bit because of advances in technology and our ability to predict weather. You know, having seen the film Master and Commander and hearing you talk about the journey yourself, I'm noticing a lot of parallels between what the crew went through in the movie versus what the crew went through in real life. Have you thought about that? Yeah, I think that there are some great parallels to my story and also the film. Uh, your question prompts me to think about Peter Weir's involvement with my book. I had reached out to him while writing it, and I, I didn't really expect him to to come come back to me, but he did with open arms and was very eager to be available. And even I think his blurb says it itself, which uh, he said, uh, facts talks fiction with this book. Now, I wanted to talk more about the crew itself. Patrick O'Brien, and he's the author of the series of books that the film is based off of. He writes that the essence of his books are about human relationships. Did that ring true with you as you formed a bond with your crew? That absolutely rung true with me. This book, I thought that I was writing a book about my experience of sailing Rose. And now that so much time has passed since that experience happened, I had the opportunity to, from a mature angle, decide how I was going to structure the book and then constructively approach my shipmates and interview them, talk with them, rebuild certain bonds and relationships. And I had maintained a close relationship with, let's say, five or six of my shipmates. But through this project, I was able to reach out to reconnect with 22 of the 30 crew members on board. And this book became so much more than just about sailing. It rekindled these relationships and reminded me how much of a family we became through the process that we went through to get here. 
you know, so much of the film and the books, they deal with camaraderie and the importance of bonding with your crew, especially at sea. What was the atmosphere like aboard the ship? The atmosphere was mixed on board the ship. We had a smattering of personalities. I, I like to think of this as sort of a, a modern day princess bride story where we weren't all these pirate recreators or people living in the past. I mean, I was more of a modern sailor, but we certainly had a percentage of the crew members who were loved the historic aspect of sailing a ship like Rose. But um, when those, when we went through those tense situations of the dismasting or sailing through that big storm, you didn't have time to, to the differences were put aside and we all really had to depend on each other for our lives and our safety. And I, I learned a lot about even the people that I didn't like, and I'm, I'm sure, you know, that was a two-way street. It wasn't just about my opinion. I think not every day humans get put in a position where you really do depend on other people for your lives as much as we did. And I think that experience was very special and unique, and I, I cherish it. KPBS On Demand is supported by Under the Sun Foundation, presenting the Candlewood Arts Festival in Borrego Springs, featuring temporary public art projects that engage community and place. March 23rd. More at candlewoodartsfestival.org. You know, that brings up my next question. You were sailing a vessel modeled after ships that are hundreds of years old. I'm sure plenty of our listeners have been on a cruise ship or maybe even a fishing charter. But for those who are unaware, what's so different about sailing on a ship like this? Well, sailing on a ship like this is very different in many ways. I mean, yes, we had modern amenities such as engines, electricity, and plumbing. But if we were to take those amenities away to sail a ship like Rose still meant sailing her like crew, like the cruise did 200 years ago. And that meant there were no winches, no mechanical advantages. We really needed a lot of hands and a lot of muscle to trim and set the sails. And in addition, safety standards have come so far from then to now because of experience. Sailing a ship like Rose requires climbing aloft to to set the square sails, which are the big square-shaped sails. Whereas today, any modern sailing vessel doesn't require the crew to go aloft. All the setting and trimming functions can all be done from deck. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that what we did is a, a dangerous form of sailing. Fortunately, today, through, through experience and care, the tall ship communities around the country and around the world have done an excellent job of incorporating modern safety techniques into these old sailing vessels so that today's crews can sail these vessels more safely. Now, we've certainly got a strong maritime culture here in San Diego, and you write about the fascination that people have for a certain era of naval exploration and adventures. Why do you think people are so drawn to this? I think people are so drawn to this because 200 years ago, a ship like Rose was equivalent to one of Elon Musk's new spaceships going, going out, you know, sending out to orbit. Rose was the example of the greatest technology that society had. And to sail a ship like Rose 200 years ago, you'd be sailing around the world and you had to be self, you had to be self-sustaining. You had to be able to fix everything. You were an explorer and you were a participant. And I think that today, when people think of ships like this, you are not a passenger, you're an active participant. And the feeling that you get, let's say, sailing from one destination to the next is very fulfilling because it was all the success of achieving your mission is all due to your hard work and how you thought about it and what you put into it and the people you were with. 
Now, it's fitting that a ship that draws on so much naval history would end up here in San Diego, don't you think? I think it's perfect. I, through writing the book, I've gotten to know the San Diego Maritime Museum, the staff there, the volunteers. Last year, I was invited out to go race on the Californian for the America Schooner Cup Regatta. And I can't say enough. I think the San Diego Maritime Museum stands out as one of the best maritime museums I've visited in the country. I love their program. I, I, I just can't say enough about it. And wherever I go, I do try and recommend to other institutions that they look at the volunteer program at the San Diego Maritime Museum to understand how you can achieve success. So the ship does have a home in San Diego's harbor, but keeping and maintaining a historic vessel is really no small feat. What goes into keeping these kinds of ships afloat? Well, boy, I wish Ray Ashley was on this to help answer that question. I think what goes into keeping these vessels afloat is community participation. I think it's a collaborative effort of everyone recognizing that it needs to be constant. You can't really take a break at it. And you've got to maintain that commitment and due diligence. I think um, trying to do the minimum would certainly ensure failure. I think what it takes to keep these vessels floating and in great working order requires a great amount of community effort and participation. And beyond that, I think it's really important that younger generations are brought into the fold so they can participate in the care of vessels like this and also participate in the operation of them. Because if we're going to ensure the continued maritime heritage of America, we need to make sure that we're inviting as much of America's youth into this heritage. You know, aside from the modern day swashbuckling and high seas adventure that your book is all about, there's also a message in it about the importance of trades, really, and and taking pride in working with your hands. Why did this resonate with you? When I was in high school, I really wasn't sure about where I wanted to go with my life. And fortunately, my parents were very supportive of me not taking the traditional path. Uh, Both of them were college dropouts who had later gone back to college while they were raising me and my sisters. And I think their experience gave them the confidence to support me in, in becoming a wooden boat builder and taking and participating in an apprenticeship. For me, that was the right decision. And I think that continued education is imperative, but I, I fully believe that college may not be the right path for everyone. And having found great fulfillment and success in my life, I hope to be a big advocate for encouraging younger people to feel better about making decisions where they can earn a wonderful living and find great fulfillment by yeah working with their hands and, and learning a trade. Now, I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves. We're talking about your recent book, All Hands on Deck, but you do have another book on the way. Is there anything you can uh, preview for us for the next project? Yeah, absolutely. Um, my next project, I'm still in the, the development and the reporting stage. But my next book is really going to be focused around the process of learning through doing. I think practical experience is imperative, and I'd like to explore and reveal different career paths that certain individuals have taken around our country where they found success and fulfillment. Because I think that if I can deliver wonderful stories about people who have maybe become a glass blower or a tattoo artist or even a um, a sous chef in a kitchen and show what their life is like and talk about where they came from and where they're going maybe we can inspire some more younger people to feel better about following their own passions 
Well, I'm enjoying this book and I'm looking forward to the next one. I've been speaking with Will Soffrin, author of the new book, All Hands on Deck. And Will, thank you so much for talking with us today. Harrison, thank you for having me. That was Master Shipwright and public speaker Will Sofren speaking with Midday Edition producer Harrison Patino about his new book, All Hands on Deck. Sofren will be speaking about his book on Wednesday, May 3rd at the Southwestern Yacht Club in Point Loma. For more information, you can visit our website, kpbs.org. Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year, we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, we've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com.